Hello, my Westerosi mofos. What's good, my geeks, my nerds, my friends, my people? Hello, Starks, Targaryens, Stargaryens, Glover's phrase, Lannisters, Baratheons, and Tyrells. Hello, and welcome to another wonderful week of watching the thrones. The final episode of the season. This one is hotter than wildfire. Your ears are in for a real treat. If you've never seen Game of Thrones or you aren't a fan, get out! Leave! This is the Cool Kids Club, and you are not invited. I'm your host, Blake J. Graham, here with my co-host, Tony the Dreadwolf Russo! Excited to talk about this good app, Blake. You think it's a good app? I think it's a good app. That's a... When I was watching it, I said, good app. At the beginning, the middle, or the end of the episode? Oh, throughout. Throughout. Just once repeatedly. the song, once, once the, the intro music started playing, uh-huh. I said... That's the one. That song. That's the one. Thrones, Thrones, Game of Thrones. And here's me. I said, good up. Nice. Love it. Love while it. That was, while that was going on, I said, now, good up. Okay, okay. So let's talk about another point. So after the intro song, there were other sections. We went to locations. We saw characters. People were involved. People we love, who we hold near and dear. Specifically, the greatest of all people, old Samuel Tarley. Let's let's talk about what happened to him. Some people we don't love or care about this season (laughs) at all. Last season, at the end of last season, Uh Sam leaves the wall. He's going to go off to Old Town to train as a maester. Uh Uh-huh. And finally, at the, at the end of this season, he's the slowest person he is. in Westeros. I imagine he takes Everybody lots of stops. Everybody else is going across the country in Instant. light speed between there. scenes. And Sam is taking all of this time to get to Old Town. Mm-hmm. He finally gets there, and he somehow got there before the news that uh, Maester Eamon, the person he's replacing, is dead. Yeah. Maester Eamon being a hundred and goddamn 25 years old or something like that. They just should have crossed him off already. It seems kind of, so, so I had, so yes, of course, we get, we get Sam, he's coming to Old Town, we see the Citadel, we, get this, the scene be- for us, we get this beautiful shot of the Citadel, out of the Citadel are flying hundreds and hundreds of white ravens, which as everyone knows means that winter is here, because the Citadel sends out white ravens and it tells them the seasons are coming, but in case you didn't know that, they're going to lay it on pretty heavy later, we'll get to that in a second, Sam shows up and we have, oh, it's essentially the most awkward scene of any man trying to get a library card. <laughs> And he shows up with uh, Gilly and incest baby Sam. Uh, they're going in. And like you said, they go to the front receptionist and they say, hey, I'm the new maester of the Night's Watch. And they're like, our records don't show that, which is kind of surprising because here I'm thinking the Citadel, they're supposed to be the keepers of knowledge. They're supposed to have the most historic records. And Maester Eamon's been dead for at least a, a, a season in some episodes. So I'm going to stop you right there. That's Please what we do. call irony. That's, that's the irony right yes. there? Very rarely employed in Game of Thrones, but uh-huh. I believe that scene was supposed to be ironic. He has these big glasses. He's supposed to be a keeper of knowledge and mm-hmm. all that's right in the world, and he doesn't have the right information. Correct. Mm-hmm. So we get introduced to this uh, uh, Brazil-esque ah. bureaucracy. So we're, so what you're saying is they ch- channel their inner Terry Gilliam for this yes. shot. <laughs> they really want to make sure that that was portrayed. So yes. He he gets his li- he, he says the arch um, the archmaster will talk to you and sort out the details later. Another fun fact about that's going to happen nine episodes from now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's going to be at the end of season seven probably. 
Um, but a fun fact about White Ravens and the Archmaester. In the books, the White Ravens loves the... Uh, sorry, the Archmaester loves the White Ravens so much that he hopes that they eat his body when he dies. That's really unrelated. Looking forward to that scene. Yeah, hopefully that'll be in the season finale of episode seven. They'll be very hungry. They'll be like, we flew all this way just to deliver the news about winter. We're hungry. We're going to eat some Archmaester for us. So he gets his library card. The receptionist bureaucratic man says, hey, come back to the library. Gilly tries to come with, with incest baby Sam. And he says, no women or children. So they are not permitted. So I guess they just stand in the lobby while Sam goes to read. What, yeah, what are they, they doing? Here. They just hang out. And uh, they, the realization, much like how, how you just mentioned this, uh, dawns on Gilly. I'm sure that she has an incest baby. Mm-hmm. because I did not realize that uh, she was Craster's daughter mm-hmm. as well as the father to one of his children. Yeah. So are you just realizing? I, I did not know that. Okay. Is that. Where did you think she came from? Have you seen the show? I thought she was just a wildling. I thought she like wandered upon this whole little thing. No, no. okay. No, Sam so rescued her from Craster, who's having incest babies. Who's was big into the incest wow. babies before he was killed by some of those Night Watch mutineers. Anyways, so what did what did you think of this scene? So the one thing that I thought was the most interesting and most crucial. And I don't know if you caught this detail. So when Sam goes into the library, it's we get this beautiful like library porn shot. It's like this giant, beautiful structure, lots of staircases. And in the middle, there's this glistening mirror contraption that's got a bunch of like metal rings around it. And it is the same metal glistening mirror contraption from the opening credits that we always flash to and wow. see Game of Thrones over. The same thing that makes it a great app. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was finally revealed what that turning gyre was it's uh from the citadel so i'm glad they finally included that and that's really all i got out of this hopefully yeah, what we is hear... he doing there he's going there because he's got to read some books that give him but how this... does this so there's a, a huge battle coming up that's uh-huh. what that's this whole episode is like let's set this set the stage for the big white walker battle yes the thing we've been waiting for the since wars to the come. cold open of uh-huh. the entire series and he's reading books so nerds are gonna nerd tony i'm oh. sure you, i'm sure you know that first of all there's definitely not enough time for him to become like a full-fledged master. I don't even know if he can get like an associate's degree in masterhood <laughs> in the time that's needed. One here. of those certificates. I I imagine what's going to happen. He's going to be there for like two days. He's going to stumble upon like the right piece of knowledge that's just like Valyrian steel, obsidian, dragon fire. All these things can kill White Walkers. So we need to. I, I think the clue is going to be like we need dragon fire because like there's dragon glass. Mm-hmm. Valyrian steel is also called dragon steel. Normal fire is not good for the whites, but dragon fire seems like it would be bad for the white walkers. So that's my prediction. He's going to read something that's just like the dragons could somehow kill white walkers. He's going to get that piece of information. He's going to drop out of school. He's then going to take an entire season to go back to Jon Snow. And maybe at the beginning of season eight, he'll impart that knowledge to good old Jon Snow. He'll be well, like, I need an alliance with Danny to kill some. We kill have some we have Bran in the north. We do. He, You're not wrong. He's the holder of all of this universal knowledge. Why couldn't he just serve the same role? Because he is currently, and we'll get to this in a second, abandoned by his uncle by a tree, unable to walk. <laughs> near the near the wall. Near the wall. He could crawl there. <laughs> That's a long Give way to crawl. On. Tony, let's take a stop for a second. Let's get you on your, your hands and knees and see how long it takes you to crawl across this floor. So the only thing I, uh, well, not the only thing, but my main note from Old Town was uh-huh. I, I wrote down, this will, this will be some boring Hogwarts shit. Yeah, pretty much. It's going to be... It's it it felt like a scene right out of Hogwarts. It seemed and, totally Harry Potter. That was the same vibe I got. And uh, it didn't help the fact that right. And let's let's transition to another region here. 
um, when they go over to Winterfell, they, uh-huh. they follow. They do like a swooping crane shot. It was like an owl. Ravens. It was like a white owl. It looked like a Hedwig. Hedwig. What's going his face? up to see Harry wherever I, Harry is? In I think Scotland. I think the directors watched a little bit too much Harry Potter before they decided yeah, to like write this Columbus, episode. Whatever. Yeah, it, it was nuts. So yeah, let's let's talk about Winterfell. Like you said, we set the stage. We see this white raven flying to Winterfell. As we know, as educated geniuses, I am a Game of Thrones scholar, let me tell you. We know that the only time that white ravens get set out is when the seasons change. Winter is coming and it's now here. In case you guys didn't know that, viewers, they'll tell you in a second. I think it's a lot of ravens to keep just for seasonal news, especially because it happens on a regular schedule. But that's besides the point. So white so raven it, coming in. What, what, what's happening? You don't think there's a role for white ravens? In the no, world? I don't. I don't believe you're so. advocating right white raven genocide. That not that's, genocide. That's what I'm gathering. And are you advocating that white ravens matter? Yes, I think that's <laughs> that's another episode. Of white. <laughs> Okay, so what's happening in Winterfell, Tony? So, uh, well, Davos wastes, first of all, no time in going after Melisande. Right. After, um, well, actually, he did waste quite a bit of time. He, he went through the battle knowing what he knows, that Shireen was killed by Melisandre. Yeah, burned at her. the stake, yeah, for blood magic. <laughs> so he, he, he accuses her of murder in front of Jon Snow. And I was surprised Jon's reaction isn't, who, who is Shireen? Yeah, his reaction was uh, to look at Melisandre and be like, "What say you? How are yeah. you? Why are you not a murderer?" Well, she doesn't have that much to say. You know, she, it's basically well, Stannis was there. He was the one who sanctioned it. Her, her mother, her mother was involved. Yeah, her mother was involved. And look where it got us. Now we have Winterfell. But Jon's not really having it. Of course, Davos is still uh, fuming. Yes, just fuming. He's furious. He's smoking at the head. And is that an expression? <laughs> He's upset. <laughs> the The main thing Davos has is, uh, well, first of all, she killed a kid, but that's no good. Yeah, I think was, you and I can both agree that's probably not fundamentally the best thing to it do. It was in service of taking back Winterfell for somebody who the Lord of Light showed her was going to be a rightful king. Right. Or, because, well, she said she said she saw the Bolton banners on the ground, which did happen. She's yes, not wrong. Yes. And and uh, Davos says, "How many died because you were wrong?" Well, first of all, she wasn't wrong. And also, same with you, buddy. Yeah. Davos, you just led a suicide charge. So let's stop for a second here. You are Team Melisange. You think that her murdering Shireen, burning her at the stake, episode seasons ago, was ordained because, though it didn't happen for Stannis, that magic still allowed john to succeed is have, that what you're saying have we gotten into this on this podcast i'm I'm a legal scholar uh-huh as far as i'm concerned the whole you tell me every day in real life murder of a child only applies under the regime of stannis now mm-hmm. they're in a different winterfell a different north it doesn't really hold okay so you're saying they cannot be tried for this crime yes okay correct because john snow was not the ruler or like the sovereign it was nation. also it was also legal when she did it. Right. It was it was it was adorned and co-signed by the king exactly. as well as the queen. Ah, fair point, fair point. So John but, doesn't though kill her. He just says, "Get out of here." Get out of here. Which and he says, "Go south and never come back," which of course means that she'll be coming <laughs> back. Maybe not shortly, but definitely in the next season, she'll be heading up back north. So we don't I, I don't know if we if we know for sure that she's coming back. There's there's um, some, some plot armor where we think 
or at least um, her prediction was that she was going to see Arya again. Mm-hmm. This was a different episode. I don't remember when it was, but she she talked with she met with Arya and she said yeah. we're gonna we're gonna meet again. Right. Basically, so, when Gendry gets taken from their Brotherhood without banners, they meet for the first time, and Melisandre says we will meet again. And exactly, and we have the Brotherhood without banners who have a Red Priest who could basically replace her mm-hmm. if she were to uh, perish in any way. Sure. So perish in any way. That's a great way of saying that. <laughs> who knows how she's gonna die. But I, I think she's gonna die, and uh, hopefully she fire. might not. She Is might not irony? be back. She might not be back. But we didn't, we didn't get any kind of connection, uh, uh, callback, I should say, to her being super old, which right. is how they introduced this season. Yeah. So whatever that is, is probably gonna come back and play before she's cut like, off from like, the season. Likely, yeah, there has to be some sort of connection. Where again, we'll have a previously on Game of Thrones, and we'll have older, and then yes. in the li- episode later. So I, I got some thoughts around her going south. I think that this provides a good opportunity for, like you said, meet up with the Brotherhood without banners, perhaps encounter Arya. Maybe she'll be on Team Hound again with that that whole crew. Who's to say? But I think it's important that essentially we now have an emissary of Jon Snow going south mm-hmm. who represents the Lord of Light because we know Danny, and we'll talk to this later, is always wanting to head to Westeros and eventually north up through, and she's got Correct. Lord of Light that's, people on her side. So there might that's be her some, trajectory right that's now. That's her trajectory. Going south. So there might be some sort of connection in the middle, perhaps in the future, depending on if Danny ever decides to leave Westeros. But we can see if she ever makes that decision or if we've got eight more seasons in Marine. But we'll talk about that later. I think we started talking about Winterfell. What else is going on in Winterfell here? After this council scene, you have a nice shot of John Sansa. They're divided. It, it has this big little guard they're up on the wall they're They're on the the wall of winterfell not the wall (laughs) not that wall tony tony not that wall tony it wasn't that wall i did not tony tony let me level with you it wasn't that wall you don't need to say that i can see you about to say that wall it wasn't that wall they're at winterfell tony so they're they're at castle black (laughs) (laughs) no so they're they're at the winterfell there's a nice shot of them they're super divided, and the the cross cutting has them. Neither of them are in the scene with the the other one, right? Um, so obviously, trying to highlight some sort of divide between A them, schism, which is um, obvious. We talked about it last last episode. Sansa held a lot of information back from John. A lot of people died because of it. This this back and forth they have, it, they do uh, reconcile. They, they get back together. They speak the words of reconciliation. Essentially, I'd say. Oh, so that's. Are you hinting towards some kind of belief here? That that would be my interpretation. So, okay. like, you, so go ahead. They're yeah. They they basically agree to uh, disagree. Um, they basically say, hey, we have to trust each other. We're we're the Starks in Winterfell now. This we is have a big so deal. many enemies now. We can't have this divide between us. Yeah, and uh, we don't really get an answer why she waited with the army of the Vale to or to tell John about that either. Right. And, and she apologizes. She says the words of apology, essentially kind of making this notion to say, like, I don't know why I, I didn't trust you, things like that. But in my mind, this seems like season one Sansa, who would be apologetic. Now I think we've seen her character develop a little bit, that her saying those words to John, plus her in- decision to not trust him previously, along with what happens a little bit later in the episode, leads me to believe that she is kind of saying the, that she's making that apology as a ploy to somehow convince him that she's just like this silly, dumb girl. And I don't know if she is. But so the next scene, we see her talking with Baelish. Right. I think the next scene in Winterfell. Yeah. Um, 
And she tells John, of course. Wait, can I stop you one okay. one second? As the scene ends, she says, we got a white raven from the Citadel. Winter John is says, here. What, what is a white raven? <laughs> <laughs> she says, winter is here. And that's that. So finally, those white ravens we all saw. Now, now even you dummy John listeners. smiles because he knows the words of his house, <laughs> which are... Um, Winter uh, is here. Stark's rule. Stark's rule. Lannister's <laughs> drool. Hashtag Coney 2012. Um, okay, so as you were saying, we get this next shot. Sansa's by the weirwood tree. Please continue. I'm sorry for interrupting. She meets up with Baelish, and we get a nice... Um, I believe possibly. Baelish meets up with her. <laughs> okay, yeah. They hook up. No, they don't hook up. Wrong. Incorrect. Uh, Baelish reveals that his main dream right now, his main motivation, his driving narrative here is to become king of Westeros and have Sansa as his queen. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where like um, he like established like a a career dream board or something like that, and he like picked a picture of what he thought would. He had his, his vision board. Where yeah. Is, yeah, his the vision secret. Board. Yeah, it's the secret where where his career will be in fifteen twenty years. And he says, you know, there's this image in my mind. And whenever I make a decision, I think, will it help make this go better? So I think Peter Baelish, if nothing else, has a future in essentially preaching the secret to Westeros, could create his own religion, whether it succeeds or not. Uh, but he's, yeah, like you said, his vision is that he's sitting on the Iron Throne and Sansa, 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 Sansa is by his side. And Sansa says, that's a pretty picture, but I'm not so interested in that. Yeah, she she uh, avoids his kiss. Mm-hmm. They, the embrace. They did get close. They got close. And she almost went for it, I and think, she but put, she knows not to trust him. That's right. And she puts her hand on his chest and she kind of ducks away, which... If you know anything about Baelish, I think just makes him want it more. So that might motivate and step up his creep factor a little bit. When we get another shot of him later. Speak, no, speaking of creep factor, he, does, okay. he basically admits that he's been thinking about being king with Sansa at his side since she was like 12. Yeah, which is, which is a which huge is creep factor. Which is super weird. Well, it, it's unclear. I, uh, I don't... I don't know if he like went to pick up artist school and they said like start with negging and then go for this, then go for the uncle move and, and then, then go for uh, this. Save her in battle. Save her in battle and then finally reveal that you think about her a lot. Um, I don't know what his uh, his pickup strategy is here. It doesn't seem to be panning out, uh, but he's in a pretty healthy position militarily at least and politically, regardless of whether Sansa interested and and there's a lot of other lords and ladies in the north and so we get this shot then we're in the great hall of winterfell sansa and john are sitting up at the table essentially kind of in the positions where ned and catelyn would have been so many seasons ago and there's the entire grouping of you know the the heads of houses from the north out there surviving heads of houses surviving the remaining heads of the north either ones who were involved in the preceding battle or kind of stood out of the way and are still around. Essentially, people who weren't Boltons or Umbers, uh, who Car Starks who fell um, and and tore everything apart. Um, so we're all back together. They're all they're all talking. We've got John, Sansa, Lord Manderly, Lord, Lord Glover, Glover, Lord Lady Mormont, Baelish Davos, uh, Lord Kerwin, mm-hmm. the whole crew there. Uh, I think that's three it. more. I Name think that's three it. more. I think that's it. I don't think there were other, were any other houses. Uh, Lady Mormont gives a rousing speech. You know, ten year old badass, essentially calling out all the other houses. Lord Glover, you know, you didn't respond to the call because you were mm-hmm. afraid. 
uh, Lord, uh, Manderly, your son was killed at the Red Wedding, and yet you bent the knee to the Boltons, like, like you didn't, you didn't fight for it, you didn't answer the call. Mm-hmm. So we get this rising scene, a lot of chanting. They, they all do this thing where they whip out their sword and plunge it down, which the first one, I got pretty nervous about. I'm like, that sword's gonna nick someone. Like, I don't know how people are gonna make it out alive, but it was just one guy. And then they all do it at the same time, and I'm like, someone's gonna lose Very a thumb. Dangerous. Uh, yeah, that is not safe. Like, OSHA does not approve of that sort of behavior in the OSHA? workplace. No, OSHA, oh. <laughs> the Occupational Health and Safety Administration. <laughs> it's a legal entity in the United States that Not protects like, with it, but... construction workers. Mm, okay. I need, okay, take your word for it. All right, it's. I thought you were a legal scholar. Nope. Haven't you heard? All right, uh, going on. That onwards. was five minutes ago. <laughs> Things have changed. Um, but so they start chanting that you know we only know one king. He's the king of the north, and his name is Stark. King of the north. King of the king north. King of the north. Yeah, which we know went so well the last time a group of people with they swords proclaimed that for a Stark. Yeah, but we get this shot that as they're chanting for John, essentially saying, you're the king in the north, Sansa and Baelish are making eyes at each other. What's that about, Tony? So I think Sansa realizes, she, so she says, don't trust Baelish. And I, I don't have as much um, confidence in her as a mastermind here as you do when she when you said you know she's speaking the words of reconciliation you mm-hmm. seem to imply that she's she's not feeling the words yes she's performing for the sake of some kind of goal or some kind of idea of mine if if that were the case i see her playing baelish a little bit more than she actually did and maybe making some machinations mm-hmm. which is the word i can now say yes couldn't say it a couple <laughs> episodes ago it took a while but now you've been practicing i can tell uh, well done, Tony. And uh, should we just close up the show now? You got the word out. Let's wrap Let's it up. That's okay. a good season. All right, and good talk, everyone. And so she didn't. She didn't do anything with him. Uh, she didn't kind of lead him to uh, create any kind of moves behind the scenes here to take control. And I think she's just realizing now that not making that move is cost her any kind of control in the North because now mm-hmm. everybody's pledging for Jon Snow. He's the one who's going to have power, and she's stuck as a second fiddle. So you're you're seeing that this is now. I, I think it's a look of regret. Okay. Than, and then Baelish knows what's happening, and he's looking at her and saying, "Yeah, this is them to the ropes now." So in in my mind, I'm seeing it as Sansa essentially playing Baelish in a way to say that, "Hey, it's not time for you and me to get together yet. I've still got more purpose for you." And when we get in this room, and she's making the eyes at him, and he's not chanting. He's, you know, I mean, Davos goes in on the chant. Everyone's, everyone's yelling the same thing. He's lurking in the corner, looking at her, even though he ostensibly saved all of these people. He's making eyes, and I think Sansa is making eyes back to say, "I think you know what your role is next in this position," which is creating a wider and wider schism between John and John and Sansa. And I think, yeah. I think, as I always predict, that this will just lead to the ultimate death of Peter Baelish in season seven. <laughs> I think it's going to happen. The long predicted. The long predicted death, often predicting every episode. I, I am sure it's about to happen. But, but in my mind, this is essentially setting the stage that there's going to be a little bit of plot that like opens up where it's a little bit of a, you know, it's like Sansa and John are together, then they're apart, then there's a rift, and then it ends with Baelish dying and them reuniting and, and, and reconciling. That's what I predict to somehow happen in, in season seven. Probably over the course of a couple of episodes, just because I need something to talk about. But that that's what I took from from that scene in Winterfell. Is there anything else you want to talk about there, or do you want to move on? I want to move on, and uh, this it's connected, though. Okay. So let's go over to Bran in uh, Just Beyond the Wall. I will. I'll, I'll go there with you. <laughs> His reveal that uh, John can't die. I mean, you could talk about 
Baelish potentially trying to kill Jon at this mm-hmm. point, or Sansa and Baelish teaming up to try to kill Jon and take control of the North. Mm-hmm. But he has some serious plot armor. Yes, he is <laughs> too essential at this point if they want to wrap up the show. And uh, unless it gets canceled, maybe it'll get canceled. It could get canceled. Jon could die by mysterious causes. Yeah, and, uh, as old we all age. Know, it'll jump forward fifty years and it'll Kid just Harrington. Be, yeah could pass away could die and as we all know at that point they have opening open casting calls uh anybody could be john snow anyone anyone at all including myself even you we'll see can you give us just one one of your favorite john snow lines i know nothing that was pretty good i was like kit harrington was here spitting image spitting image so you're saying that it's revealed we go north to bran and john snow can't die why is that so do we get more information about him that makes him crucial to the story actually i'm gonna take a step back I'll, I'll uh, go there with you as well. Last we left off, uh, Bran, Mira, and Cold Hands, a.k.a. Benjen Stark. Uh-huh. Uh, or I should say Benjen Stark, a.k.a. Cold Yeah, Hands. I believe it's that order. <laughs> Cold um, Hands from the book. <laughs> are, are hanging out up in the north. They're dragging Bran along, mm-hmm. trying to keep him uh, alive. While I believe, they head, yeah. They head to the wall. And Benjen basically leaves them at the um, weirwood tree that's just beyond the wall where mm-hmm. John took his... Night's Watch vows. Yep. We've seen it a couple times before. He leaves him there. Yeah. Benjen says it's time for me to. It. Says it's time for me to go. Before I go, let me remind you of some crucial plot, plot points. First of all, I am dead, held together by magic. I cannot cross the wall. There are barriers in the wall that prevent magical beings such as me from crossing it. And we know this because back when we had the Cave of the Three Eyed Raven, mm-hmm. originally the White Walkers couldn't get in until they got marked by Bran. Once Bran has in there, it tore down the magic barriers. And so naturally, Benjen is now leaving Bran to cross the wall. Cross the wall, which could theoretically cause the entire wall to come down. I would be so disappointed if that's how it actually happened. Really? But Why it, is that? I mean, it's because they already did that once. They didn't break the wall. Well, they didn't break they're gonna, the wall. They're going to need the a big whole... episode for it. There's going to be a big budget. It's going to be great CGI when the wall comes down. The whole brand is an idiot. He's already marked by the Night's King, and he's it, because of that magic touch, he's going to bring down, undo the magic of the wall. Right. Yeah. There they, would definitely have to be a previously on Game of Thrones where he gets touched, and then they say it brought down the magic, and then he'd have to cross the wall and bring it down. No, I, I get where you're going. Yeah. There seems like there needs to be something else. Maybe he goes back to uh, another vision and gets touched again. Or maybe gets his arm cut off. All I, of I, these things are, are terrible, actually. They're fantastic. I can't even be ironic about that. Those would be all so unsatisfying. Benjen, just this like, little crippled kid crossing the wall and bringing it down. Yeah. It has to be way cooler than that. You think so? Yes. I don't know. The way this show has been written recently, I'm pretty sure that's predictable enough and in the cards to be possible. Um, now, but, I, oh, I, so yeah, let's just talk about this for a second. Benjen's okay. a jerk. He leaves them significantly far away from the wall. Not really that close and not like protected. It's not like he gets them to, it's not like, and, and why like leave them at the weirwood tree? Not like bring them there and then he can touch it. And then I'm going to bring you to literally the gates. And where's the tunnel? What, what purpose is he's like, I have to, I have and they other ask things him that. to do. They ask him but that. But he was a servant of the uh, three-eyed, three-eyed raven. raven. And who's the Three-Eyed Raven now? It's Bran. It's Bran. So what, where is he going off to? It's so unclear because he says, I got to go north. I still fight for the living. I've got other battles to fight. But where he, he's going, it's, it's anyone's guess. I, have, I, I 
being a genius when it comes to Game of Thrones. And you know that, Tony. I know you that. You know I'm the yeah. best and the mm-hmm. brightest. And you're second There's best. There's no debating that. Maybe third or fourth best. But yeah, you're definitely... I'm in the conversation You're like best, top 50. But I think it's an argument. You're like... Yeah, it's definitely a heated argument. I could, I could probably, if we took out some people and there were open casting calls for top Game of Thrones scholars, we could maybe squeeze you in the top 50. Who's to say? But that's not important right now. I have no idea where he's going because there's no other forces in the North of which we know of mm-hmm. for him to then go, like, unite and fight with. Unless there's this whole enclave of, like, children of the forest that he's going to meet up with and get a bunch of grenades from. <laughs> I, I mean, I... Forgot about that. Yeah, they're can, I mean, can you, can you think of any stash. other forces up North or, or figures that we know either from the books or the TV show that he might be playing for he's supposed to serve the three-eyed raven i honestly can't i think he's gonna be in a scout role he's just gonna like see the army and get crushed and that's that's his role that's it it's just gonna be setting the stage for raising the stakes well we know that they like to bring people back only to kill them so that's entirely possible but he does uh he does allow brand to fulfill one of his previous visions which is he's gonna go to this uh crying weirwood tree Mm -hmm. and touch it and that's that's his goal right and so once he touches it we're no longer in the north we're now in the south. We're in Dorne at the Tower of Joy, and we get a pickup where we left off so many episodes ago with Ned Stark turning around quickly outside the gates and then rushing upstairs. And who does he find upstairs? Tony Russo. Do they say? Yes, they okay. do. Okay, so it's Leanna Stark. <laughs> they definitely say. Does he? Does he run by her side? And say, Leanna, my sister. He does. My fellow Stark. No, he doesn't. He just says Leanna. Okay, well, they just go. get first names. So, Leanna Stark is there, as we know, as experts. Mm-hmm. Leanna Stark was essentially kidnapped by Rhaegar Targaryen. Correct. Uh, and this. Danny's brother. This set of events. Son of the Mad King. Led to Robert's Rebellion. Correct. Which happened uh, approximately 18 years before the show kicked off mm-hmm. and was the whole um, precipitating events for everything that occurred yeah. afterwards. Correct. And so she's there, and uh, guess what? She's having a baby. I believe she's actually already had the baby at she's this point. She's already had the baby, and it, correct. It was a rough birth, because things are was bloody. Not she's not looking so good. She's looking pretty ill. She's very sweaty. Not a good look for her. She doesn't look like she's going to make it, but she shares a couple of words with young Ned, not Sean Bean, let me just clarify, um, before, she, uh, before they decide to cut somewhere else. <laughs> And so Bran's up there watching, and we, we, we see um, uh, Leanna talking to Ned, and essentially, you know, are you okay? Get a maester, whatever. She's like, I'm not okay. And then she whispers to him, and because I'm a professional, I, I watched this sequence with the subtitles on because uh. I wanted to see what they decided to include in the closed captioning versus what they didn't. She says, if Robert finds out, you know he will. You have to protect him. And so that's all we get. And then there's a shot of a baby, and the baby looks super stoned. I saw that baby. We'll put a picture of it in the show notes. That baby looked very, very, very high. And essentially what we're getting here is the reveal that the baby that Ned Stark brought back from the war wasn't, in fact, his own bastard. It was, in fact, Lyanna Stark's son, and that son is Jon Snow. So this is a huge reveal if you... uh, Actually, you know what? It's not actually that big of a reveal. This is potentially a huge reveal, but it's something people have thought was the case for a while. It's one right. of the most popular theories. The the famous, I, I don't even know if it's apocryphal at this point. When Benioff and Weiss, the creators of the show, were pitching it to George R.R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. the question he asked them before he was sold on the pitch was, who's Jon Snow's uh, mother? Right. It was essentially a test for them. And they, they correctly answered it. 
And as we all know, uh, and as, as book readers have predicted for some time, it was Leanna Stark. Right. This is a resolution or an answer that people have been looking for for six TV years and around 20 book years. And people are assuming that it, the, the father is Rhaegar. Right. Which points to that, not necessarily confirmed by any of this. Right. We do not get a confirmation of the father in this. And the issue is that Leanna whispers to Ned, and some of it's not picked up by the subtitle, some of it's Correct. incomprehensible. And for whatever reason, Ben doesn't walk any closer. I, I'm going to stop you for a second. His name's Bran. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Bran doesn't walk any closer. But I'm in complete agreement with you. Because in this scene, Br- like we are getting Bran's perspective. If he want, and he is not visible to these people, so he could have just walked a little bit closer, so we could have heard what they said. It's, I imagine he's going to want eavesdropping if they yes. don't know you're there. I think he's going to want to take his hand off the weirwood tree, put it back in, rewind the VCR, then go back in and maybe get a little bit closer so he can hear what they're whispering about. Bran, you're a human DVR. Essentially, figure it out. Rewind. TiVo, get in. in there. Yeah, enhance, enhance. Get the right answers for us because we don't have confirmation that, in fact, Rhaegar is the father. But in my mind, there are really only two options here. Rhaegar being the most common. Uh, the second, less common, but also potentially possible, being that uh, the father, Jon Snow, is, in fact, King Aerys the to King. the Mad King himself. Either of which position Jon as a Targaryen. Yes. Which gives him a lot of um, plot momentum. Yes. Like we Again, about. the plot armor that he's been given now and his need to survive going forward, being a Stark Targaryen is pretty extreme. And that would either mean that he is Danny's brother, if it's in fact uh, the Mad King. Ares. Uh, is his father. Or her nephew, if it was Rhaegar, who's her father. Um, but either way, I mean, we're, we're pretty much confirmed that he is part Targaryen. Um, he's Lyanna Stark's son. We know that. And, and this sets up a, a lot of momentum for him being pretty ordained going forward. It's not clear uh, how Bran conveys this information, how it gets to John, what it means for John. Right. But I guess that's what the next season is going to be. About. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, there were a couple Dorne women there, Dornish women, I yes. assume, who, who knows who they were. That might come into play. There possibly was Helen Reed there. Might yes. come into play. That's Mira's father. Mm-hmm. Or Bran might make it past the wall and uh, put the pieces together and figure out that that's John. Yeah, it might be. A, yeah, and, and that's the thing. We don't necessarily know what Bran, again, this kind of goes back to what we talked about a couple episodes ago. Bran getting this huge, potent amount of information at once doesn't mean that he knows what to do with this information or what it means mm-hmm. and whether it's in the past the present or the future so again and based off of his own personal judgment not to get a little bit closer and hear what the juicy goods were <laughs> that seems a little little suspect to me also if he comes across the wall and it all comes toppling down and he says hey john uh your mom's liana stark i don't really know what that's going to do for john right away he might be pissed um but but who's to say Anything else you want to talk about here with uh with what's going on in the north? Or should we move on? Uh, yeah, let's move on. Okay, where are we headed next? Let's go to the twins. I love them. The best, the best and of the twins. towers. Mm-hmm. Like the the Coors Light commercial. I don't know what it what okay. it means. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that but, later. But in the twins, we do have one famous twin, Jamie Lannister. Sitting along with Walder Frey. Walder Frey is giving a big speech about how the Freys and the Lannisters. They've got these new words. They're like the Freys and Lannisters send their regards. We did it. We own River Run now. We're great. Edmure is back in a dungeon. Woohoo! 
Way to go, Ooh. us. Big pat on the back yeah, for big. Uh, the phrase. Jamie doesn't necessarily take too kindly to this. He sits down and has a little bit of a one-on-one with good old Walder Frey, and the, the, the substance of the conversation is essentially Walder Frey bragging about what a wonderful conqueror and like his victories, and Jamie's like, you, don't, you haven't really won much here. Like, uh, you're not really, you never really did battle when you were youth. You didn't really beat your enemies. Jamie took back River Run. Right, That's yeah. That's not his victory. That's Jamie's. The phrase, if, if you remember back to when Jamie showed up at River Run, the siege being laid was comical at best. <laughs> it, the, the Frey children are like the, the goofiest idiots, the derpiest people. to. It's like, they're like Monty Python characters trying Rosencrantz to. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern from Hamlet. That's Shakespeare. Read it, you imbeciles. <laughs> Yeah, essentially, he's just like, you didn't win it. If we, the Lannisters, have to come back every time that you screw something up in the Riverlands, then, you know, what do we need you for? Yeah. Why, why are you still around? Exactly. Later, um, we get this scene, and I think this is okay to just keep moving along. I don't Go know ahead. if there's, yeah, much, no, there's not much really to talk, talk here. here. Yeah. Walder Frey later is back in his main area, and it seems like he's about to hold court with all of his sons. They're going to have a big old meal together. This one cook lady shows up and she gives him his food and he says, what are, first of all, he asks, are you one of mine? As in, are you one of my daughters? Because he's uh-huh. notorious for having a bunch of daughters. And or one of his like concubines. I assume, he meant, I assume he meant daughters. That was my interpretation okay. of it. Because he's just a creepy old dude who has tons of kids and a million bastards and all these sort of things. There's like a billion phrase out mm-hmm. there just because this old man likes to hump. And, and, and so, More power to him. Yeah. That's I my mean, stance. And his age? At his age? Yeah. Wow. There's no Viagra back then. There's probably like milk of the boner, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that's, wait, that's a different thing. Um, anyways, so he's like, where are my sons? Can you like send for them? And this lady's like, uh, they're here. They're right here. What, what, do you, what does she mean they're here? She, she baked them into the pie. What, what do you mean? What, what, what pie? He, he was hot pie. Hot no, he pie. was e- eating. Uh, he was eating pie, and uh, she kind of she lifts up the crust a little bit. And says, "Hey, it's right there. Those are those are your sons." What? How did she get a hold of her sons? What is she? Some sadistic new character we've never heard of? No, Blake. It's Arya. Arya Stark. She takes off her face and she says, "I'm Arya Stark." In case you didn't remember who she was from a couple episodes ago, <laughs> just in case the viewer had forgotten, or Walder Frey, I suppose it might have been. I'm for Arya his... Stark. I'm a white raven. I'm announcing winner. Here it comes. <laughs> Here I am. So she she appears, uh, as you know. Oh, I know our, from our conversations. As I was watching the episode, I correctly predicted that that was Arya. Yes. Moments before it actually <laughs> occurred, Tony slacked me and said, is this Arya? And then said, boom, I'm right, or something <laughs> like that. swish. Ah, yes, <laughs> you said swish. And uh, this, this uh, is a very strange type of revenge. She, her feeding two of Walder Frey's sons to him. Yeah. And then promptly slitting his throat. Yes. But it makes sense in a couple of ways, which I want to talk about. All right, let's talk through them, Tony. The first is... I'm here for your benefit. She, she slits his throat, which means now the three primary characters, the three primary perpetrators of the Red Wedding have died in similar ways to their victims. Correct. So you have first Tywin Lannister is hit with arrows, just like mm-hmm. Rob Stark was. Then you have um, Bruce Bolton, who's stabbed in the stomach, just yep. like um, whatever her name was, the girl. Uh, the the yeah. girl. Tatiana, that's not right. That was brutal. Whatever that was, we have to watch that. Let's uh-huh. spin the wheel and get that episode again. Um, and uh, Catelyn Stark, whose throat was slit. Correct. 
and his throat is slit. The second thing that it brings up brings back to memory is uh, the rat cook. Yes. Who Bran mentioned very weirdly at a certain point. Mm-hmm. It, he was a um, Night's Watchman who, for whatever reason, for some insult, one, one reason or another, killed a king's son while they were guests in his house and fed him to them. And uh, because of this, the gods were so offended that he broke this um, whole guest right. This idea that anybody who accepts food under your, under your um, house is, has certain privileges and rights to safety right. and comfort. The, the gods were so upset that he broke this that they turned him into a rat that mm-hmm. could only eat his young. That's right. So she kind of reenacts this by feeding Walter Frey, Some, who broke guest right correct. famously, uh, his, his own sons. Mm-hmm. A nice, mean slice of Frey pie. But raises a lot of questions still. I mean, yeah. So, I'm looking at you. I, I obviously have a lot of questions. It seems strange and out of place to me, but I don't know how you felt. Well, so, the, the, I mean, there are, there are a couple of questions that come about of this. Essentially, like, what does this mean in terms of the twins and River Run, in mm-hmm. terms of who has control, how many Freys are dead, how many did she kill? Because, again, it's like he was expecting to hold uh, a big meal with a lot of, of his sons, because there's tons of them. But again, there are bajillions of them. So what, what does this mean in terms How of... How senile was he when yeah. he was saying all of this? Because that's what I thought initially. What do you mean? I thought he was just going a little mad. Oh. he's an old guy. Because like, the old guy just where are like, my sons? Where is everyone? Like a second ago, this whole place was full of people. Mm-hmm. How many people did Arya actually kill? Yeah. Uh, how long did it take her to do it? Right. How did she get there so quickly? So quickly. Because again, if you think about the geography, she's gone past King's Landing to the twins to get here is she a master assassin now how is she going to be enacting her revenge why walter Frey first does this mean we're going to get hot pie back yeah what's happening with hot pie there's there's Where's a lot my hot pie update that is he still making hot pies that look like dire wolves perhaps perhaps that was a nice that was a nice pie by the way uh yeah so it raised a lot of question it's kind of in my mind it's like well what does this mean in terms of who's in control in the riverlands what's actually happening there um, and if Edmure's now in a dungeon, does that mean that she can free him and he's actually going to take some more control? Um, something I just want to say really quickly about the pie thing. So it is something that is a little fan service because it does occur in the book. Some Freys get fed uh, not to Walder Frey. Allegedly. Yes. It's never, it's, it's, it's like all but confirmed. They never say yeah. deliberately, but um, essentially... Um, Wyman Manderley, who we see actually in in the the room with the Starks, he's the guy whose son died at the Red Wedding. But in the books, he gets so upset that he like becomes a sleeper agent for the the Starks within the Boltons, and he famously goes north to Ramsay's wedding. Ramsay is not getting married, in fact, to Sansa. But in the books, he gets married to Arya Stark, who's not actually Arya Stark; it's another girl pretending to be Arya Stark. Mm. This all sounds really interesting. <laughs> Seems like you don't care, anyways. He feeds uh, Ramsay Bolton a bunch of phrase in that situation. So it is something that is like from the books. It's not just like the savages out of nowhere. Uh, but again, it's kind of like, how did Arya get there? What role does she have to play? What role does this, what is, what's happening in the twins and in the Riverlands going forward anyways uh, from here? Um, so, so it does raise a lot of questions, not many of which I know the answer to. But if she's in the Riverlands, maybe she's going to see the hound soon. Anything else to say about the twins or should we move onwards to our favorite? King's Landing. Uh, so, yeah, as you mentioned, the phrase, there are a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she didn't kill them all. There's going to be some kind of succession crisis. I think they talk about it in the books when the two Walders are 
at in the north they're like hey who's who's next because mm-hmm. there's so many bastards yeah um from from Walder Frey and uh i don't think the show is going to touch on it at all no that's if, my prediction if, I mean, any, if anything that's that's just a showing of like what a i think they very definitely exemplified what a weak house they are uh-huh. Uh, so I think that any of that sort of tension just doesn't have enough plot momentum to spend just, time on. Yeah, I was honestly surprised they went back to it this season because mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't seem to be leading anywhere. But it does kind of wrap up the Red Wedding. It does. So that yes. that was the big, that was the major event of uh, the War of the Five Kings. So right, the the, uh, the whole thing starts when Bran goes out the window and then it's kind of resolved once all of the Starks are not all of the Starks. So many Starks are killed at the Red Wedding in the whole War War of the Five Kings really teeters out after right. that. And so that's the first bookend to the whole thing. And now, so many seasons later, three, two, two three, seasons. Two. Uh, yeah. He, he, two, three? Three. Three. All right. Three seasons later, now we have the second chapter. It's entirely done, and we have two seasons left to go. So on that note, let's see. Let's in- follow Jamie follow jamie where's he's, he headed he's headed to king's landing right and the events that occur right before he arrives and he finds a very changed king's landing let's talk about what changed uh, uh while he one, was away one uh everywhere in king's landing they're playing eerie piano music yeah it sounds like uh, uh or whatever yeah it's like a weird it's not good it's, Ooh, you didn't like that it's an evanescence music video because well so this is what opens this episode we get some nice piano music and everyone's getting dressed because it's trial day in king's landing everyone i should know except for cersei the bell is ringing we get some bells tolling tom is getting dressed marjorie's getting dressed the high Septon's getting dressed loris is getting dressed they're all getting dressed cersei however is already in her badass black dress which we'll talk about in a second how damn fine she looks in it day drinking <laughs> she's out there day drinking and yes as you mentioned in comes this eerie piano music that's so dr- melodramatic and over the top. It seems to say something crazy is going to happen. Mm. It seemed like a dreamlike sequence. Absolutely. Completely out of time. I wasn't sure that this was even canon for a while until even, someone else mentioned yeah, they had, it occurred. They had some scenes of the clouds moving, and it was very strange. Yeah. In montage and And again, the, I don't believe there's ever been piano as an instrument used they in don't the have score. a piano it doesn't exist they have harpsichords yes they're not piano that's a harpsichord piano they no haven't gotten there yet yeah what's it doing it's, i don't know let's talk about suspension of disbelief for a second blake i because it was oh, not suspended for me i'll tell you that tony i'll tell you that absolutely. real fast dragons yes Please, more dragons. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, pianos when they don't have p. Piano music when they don't have pianos. Mm, take a step back. Forget man. about it. Forget about it. This isn't a show. Let's I, get real for a second. That's what I'm saying. Real talk. I thought this was a period real piece. Hip-hop. I thought this was a period piece. Uh, but anyways, Cersei's out day drinking. We get a cut to the sept. People are flooding in. It's a big day. Melodramatic music's playing. It's time for a trial. We've got two trials. They decided just to combine them. Yeah. Why not do them on the same day? It's Save hard to get money. It's hard to get everyone in and out. Catering would have to do two different it's rounds. It's the all budget. about the budget. As we know, the the crown is pretty broke. The Lannisters are famously broke too. So they're trying to save some budget by condensing it mm-hmm. into into one one trial. The seven take their seat. The seven septons. We're in the Sept of Baylor, in case that wasn't clear. Did I? I don't know if I said that. Yeah, I don't think you did. Well, I, I have now. And Loris is up first. It's time for him to get tried. They bring him out. 
And he's like, are you ready for the high sparrow says, are you ready for a trial? He says, no need for a trial. I don't need it. I can pass. I can pass. I can pass. (laughs) I can pass to sleeping with men, including Renly Baratheon. I can pass to other bad things. Arrogance is one of the charges. I don't know. He just lists off a bunch of things. And I'm like, did you? Is that crime? I don't know. Uh, But he lists off a bunch of things. The High Sparrow says, uh, great. The gods are um, merciful Mm -hmm. as well as fierce. You know, they've got this balance. So if you renounce your title, as we talked about beforehand, if you renounce your title, you're claimed to any land, refuse to marry, we're going to give you a face tattoo and you're going to be all set. Sweet deal. That seems like a pretty great Marjorie deal. is not super happy about it. She's, she's, she's there along with the, the yeah. rest of the king's council. What do you uh-huh. mean, small council? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not super happy about it because she's saying, well, hold on, wait a second. This wasn't supposed to happen as long as Marjorie, as long as Cersei came. Right. You said you would let him go after Cersei's trial. Right. And the Septim brings up, High Sparrow brings up, hey, well, Cersei's not here. She hasn't done her trial yet. Right. So they give him this nice face tattoo. He's bleeding all over the place. Um, obviously shamed, obviously uh, disinherited of yeah. all of his Tyrell uh, fortunes and airship and all, all whatever that comes with something. Something important to note, though, that I think is, I mean, we we talk about how you know this seems like extreme. Like he has to like forsake the Tyrell name. He has to no longer hold any inheritance. But this is essentially the same conditions of joining the Black, or taking the Black and joining the Night's Watch. Or joining or uh, joining the Kingsguard, right? Yeah, essentially. But 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 only Which in the Which would context... otherwise be an honor. honor. Right. But 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 for something where it's like this is a punishment, like essentially if, like if we go back, and we'll talk about these connections later, but if someone was on trial for execution, they usually have the option to instead take the Black and essentially serve the realm in another way by forsaking their title so it's not like the high sparrow has come up with this ridiculous new punishment the the reasons for him being in jail and in prison and having to go through this trial are suspect but they are kind of part of the laws uh within this world we exist in so it's not like his punishment is too extreme the face tattoo is a form of mutilation though that marjorie says you know i'm not really too much of a fan with this but it's it's all good because cersei's going to show up for her trial she's just running late she's got things to do she's busy day drinking mm-hmm. before a trial she's going to be on her way right isn't isn't that what's going to happen not quite so um while this trial is going on we get intercuts with a whole bunch of uh little things happening on the side sure yeah what's going on, on the side parallel little, little birds actually are going on inside what are they up to? They are um, killing people. That's true. Drawing people in. And destroying them. And destroying so, them, so yeah. the first, So we have the first little bird, right? Uh-huh. Grandmaster Pycelle, during the whole montage in the beginning with the piano music, he's with a lady of the night. He refuses to pay her. He walks outside. A little bird says, Grandmaster Pycelle whispers something in his ears. Grandmaster Pycelle goes down through a dark corridor. There he finds not what he's expecting, which is the king, but instead, Kyburn and a Kyburn. bunch of other little birds. And Kyburn essentially says, you know... They have a little stab fest. They, they do. The, the little birds get very stabby with uh, Pycelle. And so we, we see him get... Uh, essentially, it's a good old-fashioned prison shanking. Kyburn's like, I'm sorry you had to go like this, but it's a new world order and you're no longer around. And so my reasoning, I think, for him to die is because... Uh, you tried to justify this death. I'm not justifying it, but the rationality. I do not speak of the gods' justice. That is for the gods alone, Tony. You know that about me. I don't, I don't pretend to put words in their mouth. 
but it seems like he's a loose end. So shit's going down, presumably, uh, with Cersei's planning, uh, and Kyburn was brought to the side. He's a small council member who wasn't at the, the trial. He's not at the trial. So it seems like, uh, why, why is it time to kill him unless something nasty is going to happen at the, at the trial itself? But first, before we get there, let's talk about some other birds. Talk about some other birds. Uh, so, Lancel. Lancel Lannister. Who, who we know has a history Brother Lancel. Is sent to retrieve Cersei. By That's right. She doesn't show she's up to not, the... She's not at the trial. Right. Says, hey, go get her. She's in the Sept. We know... Or not Show her the she's way. She's in the Red Keep. We know where show she is. Show her the way is what uh, the High Septon says, a.k.a. Pope Francis. And really, are we going to draw that parallel? <laughs> On this... He's the cool Pope. Well... So was so, so was the high sparrow. That's true. Um, he's not like the other sparrows. So uh, he he's led off um, on this weird underground path. I think we need to talk about little, how weird this is. I think we need. Bird. I think we need to talk about how this happened because this was a little bit of discontinuity for me. So he gets the instructions from the high sparrow. You know, show Cersei the way to come here to bring to her child. He goes outside, and immediately he sees a boy running away. Mm-hmm. So instead of being like. Boys, yeah, well, boys, boys run. Boys, boys run. Will be boys. I have this main mission to go get Cersei. Instead, he decides to pursue said boy underneath the city into these catacombs where what happens? <laughs> the boy stabs him. He gets stabbed. But not enough so that he dies instantly. No, it wasn't no, no, like no, a and, killing stab. It no, was no, like no, a no. dramatic, I'm going to let you bleed out stab. But let's think about this again. It's one stab to the stomach, which as we know, can either kill or not kill someone. And then in this case, it does not kill him. It leaves him at the end of a very long bowling alley. At the end, there's something glowing in the distance. So I'm pretty sure we, we've established that one stab, absolutely deadly. Yes. Several stabs by Master Assassin. Not so deadly. Not so deadly. Probably not going to kill you. Right. And he gets uh, one stab by a non-master assassin, which means he's, he's basically toast, but he's got some time. And as you see, as he looks down the corridor around him, uh, little glowing barrels are all around him. What's that all about? And we know... Glowing green? Glowing green barrels indicate wildfire. We saw this in Bran's vision. We saw this at the Battle of Blackwater Bay. We know what wildfire is. It's extremely explosive, and it is hidden around the city, including, as Tyrion mentioned last episode, under the Sept of Baelor. Yes. So Lancel seems to kind of connect this or understand that wildfire is about to go off. He starts crawling towards where this, uh, like, uh, wick is yes. slowly yeah. burning it's down. It's the best detonator in the world. It's a candle placed in a little puddle of wildfire <laughs> so that at the point that the candle burns all the way down, the flame will, in fact, ignite it. Uh, there's definitely no way for a simple draft to knock out yeah. those candles and ruin everything. Um, but detonators had to be different back then. And so while he's doing this, while he's crawling, crawling towards his uh, candle to try to blow it out or something, mm-hmm. I don't know what his goal is here. Because uh, he's dying. Yes. Marjorie is trying to plead with the High Sparrow. Not, not to save her brother, but just to leave. Everyone, because the she, trial she, can happen later. She puts two and two together. She says, Cersei's not here. Um, that means something is happening. Cersei knows that she doesn't need to be here, and she's not here for a reason. Right. And she knows the consequences of not being here, so there's some sort of plan. There's some sort of plan. And something that I think is important is within the reality, I think, of these people, I don't think the High Sparrow is thinking, 
oh, potentially this entire building might be blown up. Because that's, that's like something so far outside mm-hmm. the regular world of operations. Like it might be, and, and it might be just like, she is got a bunch of, she's got an army outside. She's got a bunch of people like ready to fight yeah. them. She's and just no, going to hold it out with the mountain. In no way is the calculation, in, in my thinking, that they could possibly know that this entire place could potentially blow up. Mm-hmm. Also important to note, and something that Marjorie says is, is, is also very crucial, is that it's not only that Cersei's not here, but King Tommen is also not there. Because as he's been withheld, one of these parallel moments is Tommen is looking very sad out the window. He's thinking, I don't want to go to the trial. Finally, he says, okay, I'm ready to go to the trial. And the mountain is preventing him from leaving his chambers. Mm-hmm. So Marjorie's putting not only that Cersei's not here, but also that Tommen's not here. And ideally, if something was going down at the Sept, that Cersei would probably want to protect Tommen. So the wake is burning down. They're panicking inside. Lancel is crawling. He's, He's doing his army crawl. He's doing his best brand impression. Best, yeah. <laughs> And again, think about how long it would take for Bran to crawl across the snow to the wall. It seems very extreme and very, very unkind of Benjamin not to get closer. Anyways, he's crawling. He's crawling. He's crawling. He gets right up to it. He could definitely blow it out right there. But instead of doing that, the wick hits the wildfire. And the wild... The bell goes soaring. Oh my goodness. Explosion. Not just the Sept of Baylor, but blocks around it. We see not only is everyone inside incinerated, but mm-hmm. but thousands of people probably in the surrounding area. We're talking Kevin Lannister. Yes. Beloved. Favorite character. Beloved. Yes. What a guy. What a guy. Mace Tyrell. Mace Tyrell. Not a buffoon. War hero. War hero. Proud man. Loras Tyrell, Knight of the Roses. Flowers, Flowers. Rose Boy. Famous fighter. High Sparrow, Jonathan Price, great actor. Wonderful actor, incinerated. Marjorie Tyrell. Oh my goodness. Character since season one, probably season two. Season two. two. Yeah. She's introduced in season two. But a lady who's played such a pivotal role, who's got so much scheming and thinking going on. Just a couple episodes, she slipped... Her uh, grandmother arose to show that she was still in the game. A lot of deaths. Everyone's dead. Everyone's dead. Well, not everyone. We have a couple people that are still alive. Who's still alive? The people in Kings uh, in the Red Keep, notably Tommen. Okay, so great. He's definitely still alive. He's staying alive. He's staying alive. Like ow, the Bee Gees. Ow, ow, ow. But, uh, but he's looking on, and he's not having any of this. So, yeah, we get this wonderful shot. He's staring out his window. He's seeing the ruins of what's happened. He can't, he can't quite fathom what's going on because Tommen, as we know, he, he was no longer in Cersei's control. I mean, Marjorie had played manipulation games with him. The High Sparrow pr- played manipulation games. He truly believed in some of these causes. He, he, he wasn't an idiot. He felt like he was compelled to do these things because there was a greater force, because he was serving the Seven, because he was trying to be a, big, uh, a good king. And he just sees this entire thing explode. Again, an event that is so impossible for this world of people to, to fully understand or comprehend. And if only his mother was there to comfort him. But she's off hanging out with the old Septon lady, torturing her. 
Uh, he doesn't care about his mother. You don't think you this don't... was all because he wanted to have sex. You think it's still, he realizes, oh my god, Marjorie's dead, and there's no other lady for me. What am I gonna do? What yeah. happens? What happens to Tom then? Uh, well, he jumps out the window, takes his own life. King's Landing realized. Oh, nice. Well played. Well played. He realizes uh, that his the only pussy he's gonna be getting is Sir Pounce. Wow, <laughs> that's a cat. <laughs> okay. So he falls out the window of his own volition, takes his own life, craters to the ground. Cersei, meanwhile, is torturing the Septon lady that she told the last thing the world you'll see is my face. She's pouring wine on her. She says, shame, shame, shame. She sends in uh, the mountain to essentially do whatever he wants with her. Torture, rape. It's unclear. It's Mm. off screen. It's not good. I don't think we need to go into that. Jamie's arriving back. Jamie and Bronn are riding back to King's Landing, and they see... Very somber. The smoke billowing. The Sept of Baylor is gone. It's all, it's all, what's going on? So they, they, they show up. Jamie's going on at this exact moment. Cersei and her. She's walking towards the Iron Throne. She's going through the throne room. She's headed straight for that Iron Throne. The mountains and her wings. Kyburn is up top. Hand wearing the queen. That's right. He's, He's wearing the, the pin. pin of the hand. That's a, good, that's a good catch. He's wearing the hand of the pin. The pin of the hand. Pin hands. Pin hands. Kyburn. Kyburn. As we call Pinhands O'Kyburn. Old Pinhands. Old Pinhands indeed. He's he's uh he's there and he pronounces her queen and he rests a beautiful silver Very silver strange. silver crown upon her head as she sits on the iron throne and Jamie stands in the gallery watching. Stunned. He's just stunned. He's a little scared. They make eye contact. This isn't this isn't oh sis lover. You've accomplished all you wanted. This is, there's something. So there, there's a lot of weirdness to all of this. Yeah. Um, setting aside the piano once again. Again. Which is totally out of place. And, ridiculous. And shameful, Just really. ridiculous. <laughs> um, Cersei, like you mentioned, is wearing a silver crown, which I thought was interesting. First of all, her outfit, like you mentioned, is, is, is pretty cool. It's very impressive. But. Um, All black. It's got some silver jewels on it. And she gets a silver crown. Tommen, before he dies, puts down his uh, stag. Golden stag crown. Stag crown, because, of course, he's a Baratheon. Um, Cersei's a Lannister. You'd think she would be wearing a crown of gold or a crown of... Um, it has some lion imagery has some on lines, it. lions, at least. No, she puts on, like, a um, silver tiara. She's, she's crafting her own way. She's not doesn't seem particularly happy about it. Seems yeah. like I got the sense that she... Um, Felt like this was the only thing for her to do. Really? You think she's like, this was her only out? Yeah. I mean, it, it, I believe what it. What drives somebody to just blow up an entire quarter of their city? See, I believe it wasn't her only out. I believe it was an out that was trying to protect her and Tommen, and together they could like reestablish things. I think that with the loss of Tommen, it kind of compounds this. Because I think it was her, like, it's always been Cersei's kids that have kept her human mm-hmm. and now she's just unhinged she's illegally seizing control of the throne i think she was ready for this move right after once she decided to blow up the sept i think she was ready to take the crown well because it, she, once that happened once um you think tommen she would take it from tommen once tommen announced that the the trial was going to be happening on the uh, feast of the mother right it's gonna be having no trial by combat I think she gave up on him. I think she she realized that this prophecy is going to be fulfilled that all of her all of her uh, children will die. And we talked about this. We talked about this last week or a couple weeks ago. How that all of her children 
have to die before she does. And and there's this other component of the prophecy that there will be a queen that replaces her. We said that it's Marjorie, that she will be queen. Uh, her husband will have 20 children. She will only have three. The last part of the prophecy, though, is that her younger brother will, I believe, strangle her is the specific language or kill her. Possibly. Uh, yeah. I possibly. And so everyone assumes that, and we'd mentioned this last week, that that would be Tyrion, in fact. But as, as you astutely pointed out, um, Jamie's, Jamie. Jamie's technically her, her uh, younger brother, followed her out of the womb. Uh, so in the way it was set up wasn't how I was expecting it to be. I thought Jamie might be present when she's making this decision or making this move. To and prevent up. it in some way similar or try to prevent it similar parallel to uh what he what did he with did. the mad, mad king right um but of course he arrives after it's all happening and uh, after it's kind of calmed down a little bit right so what's his next move i don't know if it's to instantly kill cersei that would be really strange um you might try to reason with her first uh, yeah i don't i don't think it can be to instantly kill her and i think when we look to what might occur in season seven um i think that she became now this big bad. I don't actually think of her being all that bad, but she became this like very much so I'm representing evil or not goodness character just in time after Ramsey's exit from the show. Correct. So, yeah. So I think that what they're looking for, what we're probably going to see is like you said, it would have happened too quickly if Jamie killed her right away or before this sort of cataclysmic event could occur, which is mm -hmm. what I think would have happened were he present during her making these decisions. Um, but now there will probably be some back and forth, some sort of power struggle uh, to see what, what may or may not occur in terms of, of Cersei's fate. Um, she's definitely not queen of the seven kingdoms because there are so many factions now. If anything, mm. she's really just queen of King's Landing and some authority over Casterly Rock and the army that exists under Jamie by relationship yeah but, maybe but again it's like when we saw the north like they proclaimed their allegiance for the king in the north for now Jon snow so they're still they're they've decided to separate out from this you know the seven kingdoms uh -huh. the we have the riverlands uh, are without a leader they're they're in flux um the iron islands as we know our team danny right now everything's sort of splitting apart and fractionalizing the tyrells are no longer you know, at peace mm -hmm. based on this fallout. And we'll talk and, about. And yeah. And Cersei basically has control of a city that's half destroyed. Yeah. That she has destroyed. So it's, it'll be interesting to see. It, it seems very desperate because while it gives her very much, like she's like the baddest lady on the planet, like mm -hmm. she just blew all these people up. It's like, now she's queen of what? Like what, what does she actually have dominion over? And now this is definitely going to create a rift between her and Jamie, who were sort of this inseparable, uh, unit before but i think we're gonna see that's no longer the so and again kyburn doesn't seem like the best choice for a hand i, I like I, him i you think i pro kyburn you you think that he's got what it takes to rule yep not just to do mad science I experiments want to be king. all right well we, you heard it here first not that he will be but just that tony wants to be so question for you blake all right um, maybe an answer king's landing sure how how do you rate tommen as a king the reign of tommen baratheon is over uh huh. It lasted approximately two seasons. Two seasons, yeah. Um, a lot of eventful decisions by Tommen, of course. Uh, what do you think of his reign as compared to other kings we've seen uh, historically in general? So we're just talking about kings who have sat in King's Landing, or any anywhere. I think he's uh, definitely way below the Night's King. Definitely way below Mance Raider. Definitely way below Rob Stark. 
definitely way below Robert Baratheon. So just the bottom is what you're getting at. Definitely way below Joffrey Baratheon. Yeah, I think he has to be one of the weakest kings. He didn't show any sort of exertion of strength. He didn't himself do any political maneuvering. And in my mind, I would say, well, he's just a young kid. But we've got Lady Mormont up in the north showing us that being a kid doesn't prevent you from being strong and authoritative and clever uh, with the right guidance. He was he was a puppet king, and he caused a lot of harm, and he got a lot of people killed. Um, and he's just kind of the biggest wuss ever. Where do you think he stands? I absolutely agree with you that he's the biggest wuss ever. But I, he seems like he could have been a good king. I think he was the victim of circumstance here. He he went with the faith, which a lot of people supported. And for the most part, and, we're and trying what, to and bring about Cer- positive change. And what Cersei allowed to exist. Correct. If we go back to how the faith came to power is by the grace of Cersei Lannister, Queen Regent. He Regina wasn't looking to generate conflict. He was trying to generate peace. And uh, for the most part, he did listen to people that were smarter than him. Of course, he started as a young king, but he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't, uh, he didn't have the same vices as Joffrey. I mean, of course, he wasn't a sadist. I think his main downfall was he was after that pussy. Yeah, just nonstop, nonstop. <laughs> just, just pleading with the uh, uh, high sparrow, like, release my wife. Please, I just want that one. <laughs> my wife. If only Littlefinger was still around with his brothel in King's Landing, and he could have just spent some time there. I think that might have solved some issues and he might have been a stronger king for it. He was the quintessential teen king. He is. He is. Um, he kills himself. Something else I, I might point out that I noticed as Cersei uh, was sitting on the throne. Uh, Cersei has emo bangs, <laughs> just like Tommen. So it's a pretty good swap out between the two of them. They've got the same haircut, so it makes sense that they sit on the same throne just following each other. Where are we going next? I'm done with King's Landing. It's the, the most explosions happen there, but it's not necessarily the most important place. Let's head over to Dorne. What's happening in Dorne? Uh, Elena Tyrell shows up. Wearing she, all black. Wait, well, she's first in of all, Let's take a step back. Okay. What the hell are we doing in Dorne again? <laughs> I know. It's the place we thought we'd gotten rid of forever. We thought we'd finally we wrapped up the Dorne, Dorne storyline. But as you remember, um, Varys was going on a secret mission. And where could he go in Westeros but Dorne? What is it? As you predicted, I don't know if I was on the podcast or in conversation with me. Separately. Right. Um, he heads to Dorne and Lady Olenna's there and she's having none of this Dorne nonsense. She basically right. waves off all of these characters the that sand we don't snakes. care about. Yeah. Which like, is good because essentially... Who the hell are you? Let's she, not hear from you She anymore. was doing what the audience wanted to do so yes, often with absolutely. the plot of Dorne. But getting down to brass tacks, she says, Hey, you, Hilaria Martell, we can do something here. If you are giving me, and she says, I don't want, I don't want survival now that the Lannisters have declared war on me. I want vengeance. Mm-hmm. And Larry Martell rings a bell and out of nowhere comes Varys. And he says, I'm going to bring you blood and fire. Blood and fire are the words of House Targaryen. Yes. Which um, seems to imply in the show and actually does. I mean, we see it soon enough that he's going to convert them over to the Targaryen cause. Danny's right. attempt to recapture the throne. Yep. Uh, Lady Olenna can go with this because she doesn't really have anything else going on. Her her son's dead. Her grandson's dead. Her granddaughter's dead. She's like the, the end of the Tyrell line right now, mm-hmm. holding things together back in a high garden. So uh, she's, she's ready for a big play, and she's ready to rain fire and hell down upon Cersei Lannister, uh, too. So if teaming up and giving troop and giving aid and money and becoming a Targaryen supporter is uh, what allows that to happen, she's going to do it. 
That's all we really need to say about Dorn, right? Let's head over to Marine. All right. So quick and fast, Dario and Danny break up. I almost forgot they were still dating because she, we. She's been a friend zone fiend. Yeah. This season. She's Pretty put much. So many people in the friend zone. Doesn't matter who, but she's given the googly eyes to some particular lady, Yara. So who knows what her new strategy might be? Uh, but yeah, friend zone fiend is a good way of putting it, Tony. Uh, Tyrion seems to kind of join the the same friend zone, but in a more uh, respectable way. More respectable way, as in you're a friend I trust to help lead us in the wars and governance to come. And so he he basically tells her, "Hey, we've got a lot of conflict coming up. Uh, keep a cool head. Don't get you're in any the big game now. You're in the big game uh, now. It's gonna be scary, but stick it out. Yeah, let's do it, champ." Yep, and, and so she, she rewards him by giving him um, a little pin for the, being... The, the hand of the pin, as I so pin. correctly said earlier. Yes, the pin of the hand. He is the hand of the queen. We've got two new hands of the queens now, a lot of queens around the place, which is a big honor for Tyrion because it's something that, I mean, he previously served his hand of the king. It's where he was at his best. Right. And I think he thinks that too. And it was a, and it was a role that was then essentially taken from him by his father his achievements were completely discredited by his father and family so it's really like a new opportunity for him to be in this position for and it's good for him to hear that he's wanted to be in this position he's trusted so it's, it's kind of like putting a lot of things together for him and he talks about how he doesn't believe about much but he does in fact believe in daenerys targaryen he will be her counsel now and uh forevermore oh but let's not have too much of that Let's have somebody come in and describe the fact that the ships are ready for her to leave. Let's do it. They're almost ready, and now they're ready. They just had to finish painting the sails. And they look fine. They do look good. I think, honestly, they might have had some slave labor work on this because it's fine, and it happened in no time at all. Um, Possibly, I would say, yeah, this is the last shot of the season. You have the um, shots of the ship, the whole fleet. The Armada. Finally heading to Westeros. So much talk of Danny finally get, getting ships and heading to Westeros. Since season one, episode one, we've had Danny saying, please just give me ships. I want to go over and yep. recapture the Iron, Iron Throne. Finally, she has ships. It's on ships. The dragons are flying above. They've got horses. They've got Dothraki. They're for, looking good. For a season that has had great CGI, this was one of the worst scenes. I thought so, too. It was pretty weak overall. But the, um, Okay, fine. Whatever. The crane shots were fine. But whenever they had people on the ships, he, he had a shot of the Unsullied. You have, like, uh, the Greyjoys on a ship. Mm-hmm. You have um, ships with Tyrell flags, ships with uh, Martell flags yeah. or uh, Dornish flags. and the they're all, Sun and Spear. They're, they're all headed out. And whatever is happening in the background looks so not connected to what's happening in the foreground with the real people. Right. That it was laughable. But whatever. This so, season, this this episode started with a dreamlike state. We we get this uh, this dream realized in the final shot where right. Danny is headed towards Westeros. So something I, I just want to ask you a quick question on. So Varys is on the boat with Day, Tyrion, and Danny. Does that mean that they picked him up in Dorne? They stopped, hit Westeros, picked him up in Dorne, and kept sailing. Does that mean that Daris, Varys took the uh, Marine Dorne shuttle back and forth and got back in order to get on the boats and head back towards Westeros? How did he get on that boat? So there are Martell and Tyrell ships in that fleet. So theoretically, um, the Tyrell fleet went like from around Old Town all the way around Dorne 
and they met up in the and middle and dropped him off. Middle, did a good old boat just, swap. Yeah, he did a little like kind of rowboat, went over. Pulled a Gendry. Yeah. And went over to the other ship. Kind of joined them for a nice they they said this this will be a good photo op. Essentially that's what it, that is what it looks like. However, in my mind, I just want to make sure because it would seem kind of weird if Danny first hit Westeros and that her landing on Westeros occurred off screen only for her to pick up Varys to then go back out to the water to head towards King's Landing. And but what does this accomplish? I mean, he, Varys appears out of nowhere to what end? Just a good photo op? I mean, really, he doesn't need to be there. It seems he, like he, you, you have a purpose for him right now in the South where he's gathering forces for whenever Danny arrives. And something that I found interesting, because again, it's who's those four on the boat? It's Varys, Day, Tyrion, and Danny. I think it could have served just as well if Grey Worm was up there instead of Varys. Exactly. And they yeah. just hadn't mentioned him and let something else happen. But uh, I don't know if that's intentional or what that implies, but uh, he was on that. But uh, uh, good up. Good up. Good up. Good season. What do you want to talk about now? We've gone through the whole episode of the final episode of season six of Game of Thrones, the television show on HBO, the home box office. So let's go back to something that was a. Uh, integral to earlier episodes of our podcast and we sure. just uh kind of dropped off a little bit on uh let's reward winners this is game of thrones let's uh, say who's winning let's see the ultimate winner for the for the season this time not just the episode blake blake if you tell me who won the episode i will walk out on this podcast i will never come back ever that's a guarantee well lucky for me the person or thing that won the episode is no, also- it, that, so, so I'm going to stop you um, real quick. Unless you want me to walk out on, the, uh, on this episode, you, you You're should saying, say, say the not regional the person, winner. Not the regional winner. Not no, the person no, who won the no, season. the regional winner but the for, person for the season. who won the episode in each region. Is that what you're asking for, Charlie? The seasonal winner. The seasonal regional winner per episode, namely uh, this episode. On an episode-by-episode basis. Average it out. Tell okay. me who won the season. The season. Overall, who's yes. in the best position? Correct. Who's making the biggest comebacks? Who's on the, be- who's on the move? Who's going to make the most of what's going forward? Well, I can't say the high sparrow. No, so, so, so the past season. Not looking forward. So in next season, season eight, who won this episode? Am I doing this wrong? <laughs> okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to cut to it. It had to be Ghost. Ghost won... Not only this episode, but also this season and next season. Tony, where are you going? Tony, why are you walking away? I'm done. That's it. Okay. No, Tony, come back. Okay. If you keep pulling shenanigans on me, we're not going to have a podcast. It's okay. Just come back, Tony. Come back, Tony. I'll be serious this time. I'll, I'll seriously explain why it's Ghost. In all seriousness, the greatest winner of this season, I do think, has to be you have to either give it to Jon Snow or Danny. I mean, essentially, we have confirmed that they are the, the highest, most important characters we're looking at. Targs. Targs through and through. They're Stargarians, Jon is at least. From top of the season to end of the season, their plots propelled most of what's going on. And when the ash is settled, they're the two around. Just out of, just out of loyalty to Our Lady from Essos, I'm going to give it. Well, not from Essos, but pretty much relocated to Essos. I'm going to give it to Danny for this season. What about you? What, what about me? All right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> no, who do you think uh, is your seasonal winner? I got to give it to winner. 
just winter itself. It finally made it. It finally came. They've been typing it since season one, episode one. Six seasons and a movie later, we finally get winter arriving. Winter is here. It's the seasonal winter. Again, it's, those uh, are white ravens that will arrive. Yeah. It's noting uh, the it's change come. of the seasons. We have, it's upon us. It's set the stage for everything that's coming up next, next season. Yeah. I think you've got to give it to it. Uh, winter's back. The Starks are back. It's a big app. Big app. Big up, big times for winner. Okay. What next? Personal winner. Uh, you already said ghost, so you don't have an answer at this point. I'm going to have to give it to Kyburn. All right. Makes sense. He uh, essentially was able to kill some kids or use some kids to kill some people. And he's not the hand, so. Got his revenge against the maesters, essentially by killing Pycelle, yeah. who was the maester in King's Landing. Um, working with the zombie mountain. He's uh, looking good. Yeah, the, the way you say that, she's like, oh, they're just co-workers. They're working together. Yeah. Worked on, did some work on him. Really great uh, special effects. Are you sticking with Ghost, though? I am oh, sticking okay, with Ghost. Okay, yeah. Yep. Nope, that's go. absolutely correct. Moving on. What's next? <laughs> okay. So we don't, have, we don't have Wheel of Thrones. We don't have an episode next That's week. true. That's we'll do that point. in the off-season. That's off-season business. We're not going to do that this week. We don't episode. want you to know. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. We also make sausages. But we do have connections to a previous episode. Right. And that episode was... Season one, episode nine. What was it called? Baylor. Just like the Sept of Baylor that blew up in this episode? Actually, slightly different. Uh, they didn't have the budget or the uh, staging for, for this the same Sept of Baylor. So we really only get a shot outside of it. But in recognition looking a, and looking name. a little different it this is episode. But uh, technically the Sept of Baylor that we're talking about. Okay, what were your connections? I had a few. I had a few. I'm just going to run through it. This is the episode where Rob makes a deal with the phrase. Yep. Obviously, that comes into, I mean, that's concluded, essentially, this episode. He gets Longclaw. No, not Rob. John, John gets Longclaw, uh, which he presumably still has as Valerian Steel. It's going to keep on appearing because right. Valerian Steel swords are going to be important somehow, I'm predicting. Dragon Steel. Obviously, the Sept of Baylor, and uh, you get a couple nice scenes of Sansa standing in the background with Littlefinger, especially when ned is beheaded yep um that's how the episode ends spoilers that's kind of replayed when john is being crowned king of the north mm-hmm. um they're both in the background kind of playing strange roles but i think they still have power in in, in both instances yeah definitely so what are you thinking okay so i had a lot of similar connections first one being that rob and his army are trying to cross the twins so they have to make a deal with the phrase um, it's our first sort of uh, look at what's happening with the phrase. That's when they're introduced. And now we have them dying. That is swell. Um, and it also kind of talks about the Tully versus Frey dynamic, which we get into later why they're so bitter about River Run and whatnot. Uh, we, as you said, I agree. We got the long claw going to John. One thing that Joer Mormont references is that he was supposed Ooh. to go- Joer references that his son Jorah was supposed to get this sword, but he dishonored the family and then left, but he had enough decency to leave the sword behind. I thought that was funny because we think about how Sam dishonored his family but decided to take the sword on his way out. A <laughs> little bit of a different strategy going there. Uh, we also, this is our first introduction to Kevin Lannister um, at the Battle of the Green Fork, and they're kind of doing their tent strategy beforehand. Uh, Tywin Lannister, Tyrion Lannister, and Kevin Lannister all kind of hanging out. They give the information to Tyrion that essentially he's going to lead the charge with his... They're not actually wildlings, but they're like Vale wildlings. Mm-hmm. Um, Mountain folk. Mountain folk, tribes, people. Uh, but we get the first look at Kevin Lannister, who then died in this episode. So from the introduction 
to death. I don't think he was introduced before that. Another thing that I thought was interesting as a conclusion of the Battle of the Green Fork, which happens all off screen, unlike the Battle of the Bastards, which happens all on screen, Rob captures Jamie. Um, and Jamie then says the same lines that John said to Ramsey. He says, all these people don't have to die. We can do it the old way, just you and I one-on-one. And Rob says, if we did it your way, you'd win. So I'm not mm-hmm. doing it your way, which is essentially a parallel to Ramsey saying, I'm not doing it your way, Jon Snow. Uh, we're going to let all these people die going forward. The last thing would be Ned's confession. Essentially, he admits guilt to everything, which is kind of a parallel to the way that Loris was admitting guilt to everything. Pycelle is kind of playing the role of the high septon in Ned's execution. Um, and he says, you know, the gods are just, but also merciful. However, Joffrey then decides to kill him, but kind of a parallel to the way that the high sparrow says, you know, there's mercy and fierceness, but also justice uh, all together with the seven and that Loris just has to get a face tattoo and then he'll be okay. Those are my connections. Fantastic. All right. What's next, Tony? Obviously, we can't also. We also can't pick a winner for next week. That's we, right. That'd be hard. Do, or who's gonna die? Because who knows what the heck is gonna happen next episode? We don't have a preview. We don't have any of our inside. We tips. have no. We have no they tips. Get picked up anywhere. That's right. And we don't have the books to go off of either. No books. Where are my pages? I Not pages. here. Not here. So what I want to do is a special thing. It's um, recently the NBA draft happened. Okay. I want to do a Game of Thrones draft. All right. How's that work? So for next season, we'll do a fantasy draft. Pick, uh, let's say, five players each. Okay. Who are going to be your champions the entire season? And uh, you could say you could start. Uh, so Danny says the number one overall pick. And you say, oh, I'm going to start Danny in this episode. You have a good episode. You'll win. Congrats. Okay. Kudos to you, winner of Game of Thrones. So we just go episode. back and forth. Let's just go back and forth. Are you starting? Obviously, I'm starting. And you're going to pick Kyborn as my number one overall pick. Really? No, I'm going to pick Danny. Okay. She's well, too good. You can't pass up. She's I was going to say, of this. I thought I got lucky there with you picking Kyborn, leaving me open to take Danny. But uh, so you take Danny. I'm going to take a Jon Snow. Okay. I have to go with um, Jamie. You're going to go with a Jamie. All right. Interesting choice. Interesting choice. From there. I figure I have no option but to pick Arya. Baelish. Yara. Tyrion. Oh, shit. I forgot about him. <laughs> um, Gendry. Gendry. Why Gendry? I think he's going to be a power player. We don't know how much he can bench. Wow. Okay. So I am going to have to go with Sam. Sansa. Forgot about her. <laughs> See, they'll sneak up go. on you like All that. All right, so those are our picks. Hopefully, we remember them. Yeah. Uh, if not, I guess we can listen back to this. <laughs> mm, do we? Ah, who's to say? <laughs> um, so we've now got our teams for next season. We're looking powerful. We're looking potent. Is there anything else to say, or is that a wrap on the most successful season of watching the Thrones ever? This is a top ten app. This is I a top say. ten. You know this what? is one of our top 10 best episodes ever. After every episode, Tony and I, we talk about how the episode did in private. And uh, Tony usually says this is a top 10 episode. <laughs> top but 10. you know what? This time he might be right. Thank you so much for bearing with us, for listening, for learning from our genius this entire season. It's been a wonderful ride to have you along with us. This is Watching the Thrones. I'm your host, Blake J. Graham. And I'm Tony the Dreadwolf Russo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Watching the Thrones, a product of Hot Air Radio. Your hosts are Blake J. Graham and Tony J. Russo. This episode was produced by Wallace the Labrador, who's always a good boy. 
with theme music by the shape-shifting Dreadnought Self. You can find more Watching the Thrones on Twitter at HotAirFM. If you liked what you heard, subscribe. We'll make it worth your while.